Podcast for music loving people. Retake every single album uh, ours and we rank it all from worst to first. Y'all, it's the season five finale. And the thing is that, well, there's a lot of headbanging going on in the studio because we're just <laughs> in such a celebratory mood. I needed to know that. But as we mentioned, our love of RTJ runs deep so much that we couldn't just do an RTJ so ranking. We so needed to do a ranking of every element of this enterprise together. We did a Killer Mike episode, and now, y'all, we're doing one about the one, the only, the guy who is so creative, I haven't even thought of a thing to say on the segment that it comes up in leading up to describing them. That's right, we're talking about... <laughs> Mr. Killums of your nest. Not the man behind the record label Def Jux. Ah, damn it. There's one of the most prolific and lauded producers of our time. Rapper producers. Rapper producers of our time. Yeah, I just, it's one of the things where, like, I had so many things to go for so many other things, and I just never got around to thinking of a thing for LP. He's just that good. He is beyond parody. He's beyond all that. But yeah, y'all, we're talking about that, Mr. Killings, if you're nasty. LP, born in Brooklyn, although it was great to see in an interview once where he said he looked up his own self on Wikipedia one time, and it said it was from Queens, and there he never looked at Wikipedia again, uh, <laughs> which is incredible. Uh, but essentially, uh, kicked out of high school in order to pursue music because he had such a deep love of rap music uh, that he eventually formed a group, Company Flow, which out the gate, they got a lot of airplay, they got a lot of attention, they were signed to Raucous Records, they followed that up with an instrumental album that Raucous didn't support, and therefore he immediately kind of went off to do his own thing, and ultimately formed his own record label, Definitive Jux, which became kind of an indie uh, hip-hop backpacker rap, if you want to call it that, uh, tentpole of the early 2000s, uh, and so many artists from Aesop Rock to Mr. Lift to RJD to were signed in there. His very first major production job was with uh, the uh, Cold Vein by Cannibal Ox, which became a legendary album in its own right. And he also began releasing solo albums, deeply strange and weird and paranoid solo albums, too. Yes. Uh, and eventually, once Def Jacks folded, he then uh, later on went out to do production jobs and eventually got hooked up with Killer Mike, and that is what led to Run the Jewels. But we're not talking about Run the Jewels quite yet, no! We are talking about, and also I remember what I was going to say. I was going to say uh, the man who is the audible version of a dystopian novel, LP. Yes. Uh, I thought that was great. Good. I might edit that back in. I probably won't. But hey, listen, LP, the thing is that I, you gotta keep in mind when we're talking about uh, this prolific rapper producer here, uh, Definitive Jux was my fucking shit in the early 2000s. It was one of the things, Mr. Lift's I Phantom, which LP had production and raps on, was one of the most pivotal albums in my journey into hip-hop. It was just chain, it made me a fan of it. It made me dig into everything Def Jux. Def Jux was literally my inflection point for getting into rap in general. So I hold a lot of weight. I was looking at a list of Definitive Jux releases and I think I owned every single album from 2001 to 2004 that they released except for like two. I'm like, that's how that's how big of a fan. Didn't matter what it was. Some of them were bad. I'm not gonna lie. And I'm like, it's the ones from like 2008 or 9. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck that was. And it's just very weird stuff. But uh, it is so great. LP, I have been a fan of his for a while. And also, uh, because I listened to the album so much, I didn't know he was white. Uh, it was just kind of crazy. And the thing is that genuinely, and he talks about it too, being a white guy in the hip-hop scene, it never really came up, but there also wasn't a lot of space for him outside of like Eminem's like, you know, overall commercial popularity. For him to be an indie backpacker and working with all these other artists, it was its own thing, but also he is his own thing. There was no one quite doing paranoia rap in the way that he does. And y'all, 
what we're going to talk about is today. Who's the we? Me, Evan Soddy, co-creator of the podcast, Taryn O'Reilly, and what? our special guest in studio, Sam Thomas. Find hey. her on all of the socials at Sam under, uh, Ham underscore Sam underscore Witch. Uh, Facebook, TikTok, all the other things. I have two TikToks. Don't D- get your hopes up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter, yes. Yeah. Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. But y'all, uh, what is? I just want to know, uh, to Taryn and Sam, what was your familiarity with LP? Go with pre-Run the Jewels, or was it only through Run the Jewels that you got to know him? Well, I know LP because you introduced me to LP when we were first, like, starting to become friends and talking about music. You gave me Cannibal Ox and Mr. Liff. Did I? I don't... And uh, Fantastic Damage and uh, at least one other one, too. Aesop Um, Rock something, probably. yeah, Yeah, I think in Aesop Rock. And so that was how I first heard about LP. And I think it was probably around the same time that RTJ one. Actually, I think RTJ two is when I started paying attention. So probably around that time too. Yeah. Yeah. And you were a Killer Mike fan. I was a Killer Mike fan from like 2001 or two, whatever, whenever. When Flip Flop Rock happened? No, whenever, never scared. Oh, right, right, right. You said because his fucking verse about that, it's all about a gun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I. that's how I discovered Killer Mike. I discovered LP. Um, actually, I discovered Company Flow. Oh, And wow. so, like, I never got deep into it, though. Don't give me street cred. Right. Um, but, like, I definitely heard Company Flow, listened to Company, Company Flow, but then, like, it just fell away. Mm-hmm. And I never got into Company Flow in a big way. And then when RTJ1 came out, and I was... We'll, we'll talk about it for the episode, but mesmerized. And I looked into it and I was like, oh, fuck, that's the guy. Yeah. That's the company flow guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, and then I I, I honestly, I, I didn't listen to any of LPs, any of these albums that we're going to talk about until after RTJ1 came out okay. is when I listened to these. Well, I'm excited to talk about it, too. Much like how we did in our Killer Mike episode for this epic season finale that we're doing, uh, we're only going to focus on the studio albums because L, shockingly, has a lot of other things. He has a lot of instrumental albums and mixes, and he also has, uh, you know, uh, soundtrack work that he's done as well. He was rejected for doing the score for uh, Blade Runner 2049. I'm so disappointed I'm like in everyone I, involved in that decision <laughs> that that didn't happen. I can see why they did. I don't. But, yeah, <laughs> I think it probably could because what they ended up using was a lot sparser. So I think it might have just been too busy. Maybe. For what they were going for because he does his... Beats are pretty dense, mm-hmm. as we'll get into. They knew that, though. They asked him to submit something. He didn't just willy-nilly right. put something together to send to them. And he's played they some samples. They knew when they asked. Yeah. It's true. You're they right. They knew. But with that said, we're only going to focus on his proper studio albums, which include uh, 2002's uh, Paranoid Fantastic Damage, 2004's Jazzy Paranoid High Water, 2007's <laughs> Explody uh, Paranoid I'll Sleep When You're Dead, and 2012's <laughs> A Little Bit More Introspective. Perspective, uh, paranoid, cancer for cure. Uh, those are his uh, so studio <laughs> wow. records here, and ultimately, I mean, it's a pretty tight discography. But that's kind of what we're digging into. And, but I will say, almost, I would argue more than almost any other artist we've done. Although it is four albums, the density of these albums is almost inscrutable. It is just, it is like I, I can't. Audible density, not 26 track, 24 track. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Sorry, I pledge allegiance to the grind volume one. There's a lot of lyrics. There's a lot of 
details in the production. Fan. Yeah, and if there's anything you know about it's LP's layers. rhythmic pounding productions, is that he rarely does verse chorus verse. Most of his songs evolve and change and transform over time, which makes his music deeply compelling. But also sometimes it's hard to like a little hard well, wrap also, around a chorus. Yeah, right for uh, for this podcast when you're trying to get a sense of what a song is, so you can talk about it. It's a lot harder to be like. Okay, there's these three movements as opposed yeah. to like here's what the chorus sounds like. Yeah. You know? And as always, we will have our discussions, minds can be changed, we're open to talk. It's mainly about having fun and talking about a discography of someone we love. Yeah. But listen, y'all, fantastic damage, high water, I'll sleep when you're dead, cancer for cure, four albums, four slots. Sam Thomas. <gasps> I'm gonna get the hot You're seat in the hot seat. Uh, oh, four shit. albums, number four. What would you nominate as the number four album? I will preface. That we are being forced to do worst to first. Yes. I love all of these. Yeah. Now that I'll be honest, and uh, I did not listen to High Water at all until prepping for this. Damn. So, but now I love all four. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think that High Water is four for me. In many ways, it kind of has. It's to kind be. of a cheap. Like it's so different. It's like easy to put it apart and right. put it at four. Um, I'm an uncultured swine, and so jazz already goes over my head sometimes. I, I feel like I don't appreciate it like other people do. Um, I appreciate this mm-hmm. a lot. I don't... I just... The other one... The other three years are so good. Right. right. Like, yeah. So, this is a this is a really nice album. It start is to super finish. nice. It's, it would, it's great to put on, like, in the background, because it has rhythm, but it I also I love Intrigue in the House of India. It's absolutely. I like I that one a lot. I also really love When the Moon Was Blue. Yeah. I think it's gorgeous, and it reminds me of a lot of the sort of sample-based DJ music that, that you'd get in, like... The, the late 2000s. Yeah. Like it really is like a perfect example of that trend. So when I initially got into music criticism, the whole point of it was because I was reading a lot of things. I had just a great appetite for music. I just wanted to know things. And especially in the late 90s to the 2000s, magazines were a great way to do that. And so that's why part of the reason I got into music criticism, which eventually led to me becoming verified on Twitter, uh, was because... (laughs) Now you understand my life. Yeah. Well, part of the reason was that because I would read things that, like, just words describing music was enough to get me to compel to watch, to read these things. The Blue Continuum series, there's this jazz pianist named Matthew Shipp, who was just mm-hmm. obsessed with breaking form. He was bored with jazz. He was an accomplished pianist. He's like, what else can we do? And I read a review talking about jazz and techno merging together, and the album was called Spaceship with two Ps. And I'm like, I gotta listen to it. I, like, ordered it on special order at the Media Play in fucking Salt Lake City, and, like, I remember being like, this is cool. If I, I listened to it recently, it's like, it's not, not nowhere near as good as I remember it. Especially now that I've listened to, like, good jazz and good techno albums, like, ah. <laughs> a little bit there. So we when all I cut our teeth, up. we all have to cut our teeth. Exactly. <laughs> but I was still excited about a Spaceship, but of course, was followed by Rocket Ship, another album of the same vein. But then I saw that LP, who I was already familiar with, was going to be joining this part of this group. I'm like, holy shit, my worlds are coming together. And I will give credit. It really does sound like LP mixed with kind of drowned your breaking jazz in the sense that it is dark. It is brooding. Mm-hmm. The 10-minute sunrise over Brooklyn is mm-hmm. just kind of this piano-pounding epic suite. It really is one of those things where it kind of feels more cinematic mm-hmm. sometimes than it does like a traditional thing because you have pounding chords. You have these weird synth squiggles that kind of come up out of the trumpets that are being mm-hmm. played. And to hear L tell it, he was like, I initially, okay, I'll do a song. They're like, no, we want you to do an album because they wanted someone to push them as aging jazz musicians mm-hmm. into... And he was also like... I don't know what... He was a little intimidated. What, yeah. what do I know yeah. about jazz? Like, yeah. really? Are you sure that yeah. you want me to do this? And 
Um, they did. I they, forget yeah. where I read it, but he did like some. He talked about this album at some point. I don't remember the interview, but basically the the short version was like, if something scares me, then I say yes, mm-hmm. and that this was a thing that scared me, so I said yes and I did it. Yeah, and also his dad was a Harry Keys who does the singing on uh, When the Moon Was Blue. Yeah. Uh, was also a jazz musician, so he mm-hmm. like asked for some sheet music of standards and he gave it to them, and their whole idea was boundary breaking. They're like sheet music. What the fuck are you doing? I'm bringing in sheet music. Yeah. All right, no, we'll do it. Yeah. To, on the flip side, they don't use sheet music in jazz so it actually was like sort of breaking the rules of jazz to yeah. be doing a standard and that was like <laughs> right yeah. Exactly. Yeah. so like when you have smaller shorter songs like the kind of boppy uh, get modal like okay I kind of fuck with that like there's a little bit more to wrap my head around there but yeah overall it is a mood record it is a brooding album I think there are times where I'm in the mood for it but also it kind of takes away from the fact that L is a rapper is a lyricist is a thinker too and as much as I love his production and I do love his dense and weird and wild production mm-hmm. by merging these two worlds together in the LP discography this is has to be number four I will also say just as the as a last send off for this record you can really hear in his production before and after it that he learned a lot doing this project that he was then able to implement across the rest of his career in his production you know I do I do think that it sort of made him a little more comfortable working with live musicians because Mm -hmm. that seems to pop up more yeah. More extemporaneous. Extemporaneously. Yeah. So, Jamie, uh, we love you, but High Water has to go we at number four you, for our uh, ranking there. Taryn, Fantastic Damage, I'll Sleep When You're Dead, Cancer for Cure. What would you nominate in our number three slot? It has to be Fantastic Damage. I, and I and I do think that there's a lot of really great stuff on here. But I actually, right before you got here, Sam, I was listening to the Open Mike Eagle pro- podcast where he talks over the course of multiple episodes with LP mm-hmm. about what had happened his was. whole great. career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's called What Had Happened Was, and it's it's really an excellent discussion. He was he was talking about when he was getting ready to make I'll Sleep When You're Dead, that he was tired of at his shows just rapping, 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 rapping at an audience for four minutes and then pausing and then rapping, 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 rapping. And I think that is my biggest problem with Fantastic Damage. It's pretty relentless. It's pretty relentless. And it's he's such a poet to the extent that he fills every single inch of open beat with verse at points where I'm I literally I'll I'll look at the time and I'm like, you've been rapping for three and a half minutes. And then he also hadn't found as much dexterity in his flow, or that's not the word I'm looking for. He was very dexterous. Yeah. Um, he, the musicality in his flow. Yeah. He had, he didn't play with tone as much as he did even on the next out. Al- he wasn't album. at his signature yeah. flow. Exactly. Like he, he hadn't he quite, had, he hadn't quite yeah. found it yet. Yeah. He hadn't quite toned it down yet. And so there's, there is incredible work on Fantastic Damage. Yeah. Deep Space Nine Millimeter is one of my favorites for sure. Truancy. And of course, Stepfather Factory is. Woof. Uh, yeah, a wolf Knowing of a song. Knowing what we know. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> Why are you making me hurt you? Yeah, yeah. knowing what we know. Yeah. It's a doozy. What do you think about Fandam? I love Fandam. Uh, I think we're on the same page. I agree with everything you just said. Um, I feel like, I mean, it's earlier, so it's not as 
mature not only in style but also in content i mean dr Haldo and the praying mantis is like a lot of dicks and pussy type stuff lyrically <laughs> don't make me fight your face to face doesn't have a lot no, of dicks sure. and pussy yeah. but, but like for all for sure <laughs> but as far as the rearranged it's not as cutting as Cancer for Cure and also when you're dead. I mean, in the way that LP is now known, like he is so, so good I mean, at fucking people up yeah. audibly, like with his words. And that aggression, the aggression isn't in fandom the way that it is in his subsequent work. And I think that that is something that I enjoy about LP. And yeah, he just got better at motherfucking people. Like, <laughs> he got a lot better at just like ripping their shit apart, whether it's on a personal level or like making you feel certain things the way that he wants you to feel them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I feel like listening to Fandam. I can look at it from the outside, whereas I'll sleep when you're dead and cancer free cure. I am, whether I like it or not, grabbed by the shirt, throat, whatever image you like better, and like, listen to me. You know yeah. what I mean? Pulled whereas Van Damme, I can put that in the background and it's like awesome, but it doesn't do that the way that his other albums do. I think that the thing that is great about LP, and I'd say maybe more than any other artist that we've ever done on this entire podcast, every solo album he makes is very much his last solo album. Mm. It feels like this is going to be his epitaph, this is going to be his final statement, this is going to be scrutinized and dissected by critics for years. Mm -hmm. That's what it feels like, and he does it every time. And if you hear him describe it, that kind of is kind of what happened. Every time he does a solo record, it's going to be its own last living will and testament to a degree. Well, but the, he also says that, not to jump ahead too much, but about the RTJ albums and about every project he works on, yeah. he doesn't ever have a guarantee that there will be another one. And mm -hmm. so he works on it like it's the last, like it, this is their final statement. He's all in. Yeah. Yeah. So when I got into Definitive Jax's uh, Mr. Lift's I Phantom, which is a story cycle album that starts with the guy waking up late, losing his job, not being able to pay for beats, which leads to the next song being having a shitty beat, which is amazing. <laughs> and like, the lyrics of the song were affecting the musicality like it blew my fucking mind to then later an, an apocalypse happening and LP rapping as one of the four horsemen of death. Great record, but also a very digestible thing. So to go mm -hmm. from something like that into Fandam was, especially for young ears, y'all, I listened to the fuck out of this album, and y'all, I still don't know what the fuck it means. Yeah. It is, it is that, like, <laughs> I... Genuinely, it is such a weird, layered, and like, and every inch of it is just plastered. His the lyrics are almost like graffiti on a wall. Yeah. Just this dense, layered spray of clear thought that sometimes is inscrutable. And it's one of those things where there's poetry, but even then it's kind of disconnected. Even Deep Space Nine Millimeter, a song I've loved because mm -hmm. I would argue it is the most digestible out of any of the songs on this record, is still kind of all over the place, you know? Uh, Contextually so different than everything else in 2002. Holy shit. No, okay. Like, Man, he's also he throws in so many little jokes. It, there's constant, yeah. There's it's like so dark and sad, and he's constantly mocking it. Yes, and that's and I think that's part of both what pulls you in and also keeps you a little bit at keeping your length, distance. Yeah, because you're like, I don't know, is this guy okay? Yeah, no, but he's very much not. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Should have laughed. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. But, like, the but thing yeah. is that, like, Stepfather Factory, aside from the fact there's a lot more emotional clarity on yeah. it there, and he's using dystopian, uh, you know, scenarios to describe some of his life growing up as well. But then you also have Time is Out of Joint, T.O.J., mm-hmm. which is just this, it is a breathy, airy, super fucking sad spacer of a track, too, which is where he is talking about his life and his heart and uh, never falling in love with anyone that he really wants to commit with. And it's still, like, the thing is that there are moments of honesty and uh, heart that shine through here amidst all this dystopian yeah. era. And the thing is that, like, we get sh- shots of vulnerable LP, but never, I would almost argue, never as specifically vulnerable as a couple moments on this mm, album. Yeah. And therefore, I have a great feel for it. But also, the biggest thing about this week is that there's a lot of LP to get through. So I'll be honest, there's I, there's a little bit of nostalgia glasses for me with the Fantastic Damage. I'll admit that. I'm probably fine with it dropping here at number three, which is still something I never thought I'd say, but I would... I almost, and this might be controversial, I don't know. I was kind of a little bit in debate in the two slots with me between this and Cancer for Cure. And the thing is that Cancer for Cure... I also flip-flopped on these two. Yeah, the thing is that Cancer for Cure is a streamlined, almost paranoid danceable record, Mm -hmm. too. Because, like, there is, like, his... He has a much more streamlined way of how he's doing his musicality. There's beats, shit's danceable. There's, like, there's a lot more kind of choruses that are happening here. There's a lot more uh, through-line to it. But the thing is that Fandam really feels like a man trying, like, almost losing grip with reality. Like, his ramblings, almost, kind of, in Paranoid. I'll Sleep When You're Dead we'll talk about in a moment, though. But I feel like I'll Sleep When You're Dead is an album that transports you to a very specific place, a very specific story that he's telling, and a very specific vibe. Cancer for Cure, I don't know where it is, because I feel like locationally, it is a little bit all over the place. The full retard is, aside from the fact that it is a fucking uh, sing-along anthem, you know, you're gonna pump the shit like they do in the future. Uh, it's pump just... The shit, it, pump the shit, it's pump fucking the shit, fantastic the there. But you have moments like that, and then you also have things like uh, For My Upstairs Neighbor, Mum's the Word, which is a brutal and incredible it's such and an dynamic song. It is but really it also, good. like, in terms of him creating these universes, which it feels like he does with each album mm-hmm. it kind of it's it feels like it's a great song but i don't know how it fits into the whole mm-hmm. narrative of what he's trying to create and that's my thing with cancer for cure it's a good album i love so many songs i'm going to talk about them but i don't feel it has the same through line as some of the other records do if that no. makes any sense yeah i think that makes sense <laughs> i do i know I, yeah, I, as a body of work like as a as a journey yeah request yeah. denied drop the fucking beat that shit's awesome I love that goddamn thing. I mean, great opener this is another one that, that starts with a bang I think he is very good at strong intro well right. he's self aware in it um, in I'll Sleep With Your Dead on Smithereens he's very self aware <laughs> yeah. yeah but yeah yeah and I, I I just I don't know I for me it's no contest of, of where which album is, is lower because I I think Cancer for Cure is a very strong album. I think For My Upstairs Neighbor is truly, it's it's rare that a song makes me feel what that song makes me feel. And and I think that that is, I don't even know specifically how to describe it, mm-hmm. but it's it's like a very much a, because it's, it's about just empathy and even though it's wrong, it is the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of people that can relate to that. Mm-hmm. And I also just love that it comes after Sign Here. This like <laughs> weird. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, well, and and he he very specifically more on his solo albums easily than on Run the Jewels. He does a lot of where there isn't really a rhyme scheme. 
It's more of just like a monologue and rhythm. A stream of consciousness. A stream of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Really well just, delivered. Right, exactly. Yeah. Just just full-on storytelling, setting the scene in a way that I, even across genres, yeah. I feel like I we don't get songs like the type that he tells. Besides like the Decemberists is like the yeah. first, you know, the, but the, yeah. the sort of... They're storytellers, for sure. Right, the storytellers, but also the, that like take you out of present reality. Reality, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and like for my upstairs neighbor, when he's talking about uh, hearing his upstairs neighbor being abused and saying, "If you kill him, I'm not going to tell anyone." Yep. I like that part when he's also like, you know, we exchange glances in the hall, and I say the first and last thing I'm ever going to say to you, which is, you know, if if you if you do the deed, I'm not going to tell anyone. Like, yeah. just like it's the, and I just love that small detail of it's the first and last thing I've ever said to this person. It's like, also extra heavy knowing what we know about Elle's like personal life, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> for those re- users at home, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So he had a very abusive stepfather. Mm-hmm. Like a terrible stepfather. Mm-hmm. Um, b- b- name it a bad thing that a stepfather could do. Yeah, and like and he did it. It, it, fu- <laughs> it fucks you up, right? Yeah, and he so beat his, he watched his mom. Uh, what is the song? Last Good Sleep, the Company Flow song. Mm-hmm. Last Good Sleep is the most heartbreaking hip hop song. It's so sad to me. It's so sad. But the way he always articulates his pain in these contexts, like, it it is heartbreaking, but it's beautiful. And the thing is that For My Upstairs Neighbor is such a strong emotional song that none of the other songs on the record hit me in that same specific way. Like, I like $4 Vic, but it's not, like, gonna be, like, my go-to thing on here. But what were some of your other favorites off of the Oh, I really love Works Every Time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, That's the, that's the one, I can't, I forget the, the, the chorus. That's okay, I don't recall it Something about the new world. Yeah. I love Oh Hell, All Hail No, as well. Mm -hmm. I also love Danny Brown, so I'm a little biased. I cannot stand Danny Brown. I love him! And I, I love that you love him. I love him. And I love that he has fans. Merlin from Brockhampton, his favorite rapper is Danny Brown, and it shows a lot. And I, I just, there's, I can't get over his voice. I know that he's a very talented lyricist. He is. And I just, he is, he is an there's acquired, an entry level. he's yeah. an acquired taste he, he that is. I have not acquired. I like, uh, this isn't a Danny Brown episode. <laughs> <laughs> but. But I like him for lots of reasons. I also like that I like LP working with Danny Brown specifically because I think Danny Brown is also somebody who steps out of the genre box a lot. He does, yeah. So mm-hmm. Especially think, on, well, on his solo albums versus his features. Absolutely. He's a different fucking Danny Brown. He is, he yeah. is. And uh, so even upset. on the features, even yeah. on the features he steps out. He did a song with Purity Ring. Like, because <laughs> why the fuck not? Why the fuck not? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, uh, yeah, I just think it's great. I also love Stay Down. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's especially the production on the verses yeah. on that one is just like, and that is I think that's part of why I just connect with Cancer for Cure a little more is just because I can't I don't I have no fault with any of the production like it's just all so it is good. dense and it's it sounds so good with headphones. Oh yeah, yes, and I I think, I think all of LP's work sounds. Wow. Yes, but I think Fantastic Damage is a little more. I mean, it's is more junior. Right, and so there's 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 just like a little bit of that crispness that isn't mm-hmm. right there, and mm-hmm. that that is a lot of what gives it the edge for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I would say personally, I'm fine with having Fandam at number three and Cancer for Cure at number two, if that's how people are feeling. I feel similarly. Well, in that case, mm-hmm. y'all, we need to then talk about in great detail our number one album. <laughs> 
I'll sleep when you're dead. And here's the thing. I was such an LP fan that when I first heard it, because I was so used to fandom and the whole Def Jacks thing, it didn't hit me in the same way when I first heard it. But revisiting it, especially, and especially this week, I'm like... Oh fuck! It is so goddamn good. It's so good. It just it's it, it hits so hard, and I also feel like there's like pop LP almost a little on this bit record in a way that he does when not. the horns come in on the league uh, on the league of extraordinary yes. nobodies yes. Yes. and they're like fans. Also, up all night. Yeah. For a man who doesn't like choruses, that's a fucking great. Very, <laughs> very earwormy. Yeah. Yeah. Very. But, but also, this is an album where you have uh, guest spots from Trent Reznor, Cat Power, and the dudes from the Mars Volta. Very adventurous features. Yes, yeah. and yeah. I feel like it shows that. I feel like he highlights all of them mm-hmm. in their own specific, beautiful, strange mm-hmm. way. It is like I, I, I struggle to find a weak song on this record. Right. Dude. And There's, can, this is a no skip for me. Speaking this of this album is a no skip. Yeah, totally, totally. And and also speaking of like the story songs, freaking habeas corpse. Oh, oh my god, draconian love. And that's hearing him talk about the like explain completely the story is yeah. on the what had happened was is just to get the details and put it. it into place. Listen so, to the podcast. Podcast. Listen to the podcast. But as in in summation, it's a it's written from the point of view of like in a dystopian future when fascism has won, there is a guard on a prison ship, and LP talked about how the best way to get rid of empathy and have a human buy into fascism is to give them a job. Something about having a job. And having responsibilities will make people go outside of their normal normal moral limits. Mm-hmm. And so it's... They'll this, follow orders. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so it's this man who has lived his entire life under this fascist re- regime. And he works as basically the firing squad on a prison ship for like the enemies of the state and protesters and undesirables. And for the first time, he sees a woman on the ship that he's like, wait, he feels empathy for the first time. And he he doesn't even quite have the words to describe what that is, really, until he, like, hashes it out with his buddy. And then he goes on this, like, fantasy trip in his mind where he has rescued her and they are living in a cabin in the woods and he's protecting her and she cleans for him, and then he snaps back to reality, and they tell him to shoot her, and he does. And then we go into a breakup song, The Overly Dramatic Truth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is also Overly Dramatic Truth, another one of my, like, favorite discoveries th- this week. Oh, was even, I did oh, not know this song. Yeah. I love and breakup songs, <laughs> like, as a thing, and this is one of my faves. It's really it's, sad. Speaking of it's production, really though, yeah. oh, the yeah. production is stunning. Slick. It's slick. It's one of the most Ugh. beautifully composed things I think he's ever put together. It's really good. And then you go right into Flyingtology. Yeah, I mean, like this, like, Whoa. yeah. I love that with Flyingtology, his collaboration with Trent Reznor. He was like, "Oh, I get to do something with Trent. Here's the track I'm working on." Trent sent him back loads of files. Here's my vocals. Here's my guitars. Here's some new synths that. that I did. Yeah, he I had some extra production. Sh- yeah. And, oh my like, send him all of a sudden, he's like, like, oh shit. He just sent him, like, stems. Like, yeah. here's wow. my ideas. Use them as you will. It's like, wow. okay, Trent, I guess it's we're like, gonna right. do this. Yeah. I guess it's a collaboration. I thought we were just doing vocals. Yeah. <laughs> 
I didn't know that. That's funny. Yeah, but yeah, the thing about this whole album is that it, the thing is he LP says he is not into sci-fi rap. He's into dystopian rap because yeah. it's about a future that world specific. that is in Earth that is very specifically that, not a fantastic other place. You know, mm-hmm. it's not high fantasy. But the thing is that when he talks about that, he also says that like I hear even in Drive, not even my favorite song, but him talking about the usefulness of a car and protecting yourself from all of the gases and other things that are outside in this world. It is paints such a very specific picture all the way through. It feels like a concept album where if you wanted to, you could pick apart story elements, but also every song is a weird banger on its own. And I love the fuck out of it. So it's one of those things where I thought Cats for Cure, like, it is a good album, but and I oh, Fantastic Damage is a good album. He's a good artist, but I'll Sleep When You're Dead is kind of unquestionably his masterwork. Just end to end. Yeah. Like, it, I... Depending on the day, if you were to rank Killer Mike and RTJ and LP stuff all together, I'm not saying it's going to be the best one, but I'll sleep when you're dead. It's going to be a contender for like some spots. It is. It is a great record. It's in the mix, and I'm happy that we got to talk about it. I also just one last thing. I love to hear him talking about what Dear Sirs is about. Is he? It essentially was in this imaginary world. He got drafted. And this is his letter explaining all of the insane things that are more likely than him fighting in a war for you. Yeah. Like, he's the the streets can turn to liquid <laughs> and pigs will fly and I will still not kill someone for you. Yeah. yeah. I just I I just love it. Alright, y'all, in that case, let's go ahead and mark it down. Number four, high water. Number three, fantastic damage. Number two, cancer for cure. And of course, that means number one, little Johnny from the hospital. Instrumental album from Company Flow. I'm just kidding. No, it is I'll Sleep When You're Dead. That is a ranking of the albums of LP, which means that on our RTJ hit list, up next, for our big finale, y'all, we're talking about Run the Jewels. So before we get to run, that, though, run, run, <laughs> go ahead and let us know what you think there. Send us an email at thechartographers at gmail.com. Follow us on our Facebook page or leave a review. We love it when people leave reviews and or email us and say nice things in that order. But uh, most importantly, <laughs> uh, keep on listening because you know that we'll be. Uh, see you on the RTJ episode, everybody. Goodbye. Hey, this is Kyle Hawk from It's All Dead, a podcast about the music we love and why we love it. Our show is a free-flowing conversation featuring a rotating cast of guests, including musicians, music journalists, and music enthusiasts, sharing how the music is still alive and well. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and then come visit us at itsalldead.com.